The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. this meeting to order at uh, 701 p.m. Um, welcome to the January 26th 
2023 electronic meeting of the Environmental Commission. This meeting is in accordance with executive orders from the governor to affect social distancing and mitigate the spread of the COVID-19 virus. We intend to conduct this meeting similarly to an in-person meeting. However, please be patient if there are technical issues. Public comment will be via telephone only. To speak during any of the public comment opportunities, please call 188-2. 12. Please call 877-853-5247 or 888-788-0099 and enter meeting ID 922-9696-1644. Again, that's a toll-free number, 877-853-5247 or 888-788-0099. 0099 and enter meeting ID 922-9696-1644. This information is also available on the published agenda in the public notices section of the city's website and on the broadcast of this meeting on CTN Channel 6, AT&T Channel 99, and online at www.a2gov.org slash watchctn. Okay, Sean, uh, could you read the land heritage statement? Sure, thank you. I acknowledge that the land the city of Ann Arbor occupies is the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabe, including Odawa, Ojibwe, and Badewadmi, and Wyandotte peoples. I further acknowledge that our city stands, like almost all property in the United States, on lands obtained generally in unconscionable ways from indigenous peoples. The taking of this land was formalized by the Treaty of Detroit in 1807. Knowing where we live, work, study, and recreate does not change the past, but a thorough understanding of the ongoing consequences of this past can empower us in our work to create a future that supports human flourishing and justice for all individuals. Um, thank you. Uh, could you start the roll call? Sure. Uh, we will start off with Councilmember Ackman. Here in Ann Arbor. Great, thank you. Uh, Chairperson Brown. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Callawart. Here. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Dale. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Dish. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Gib Randall. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Graham. I'm here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Gruber. Uh, Commissioner Marson. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Commissioner Mursky. All right. Uh, Vice Chairperson Mitchell. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Needham. Uh, Commissioner Nedrich. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Oriel. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. And Commissioner Wayne. Here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, and that is a quorum. Great. Thank you, Sean. Um, so let's move on to the approval of the agenda. Do I have a motion to approve the agenda? 
um, from Dharma Ackman, uh, seconded by Lisa Dish. Um, any suggested agenda items? No, I hear or see none. So all who approve the agenda as submitted, raise your hand or say aye. Aye. Any opposed? I see no hands, no abstentions, no abstentions either. So uh, the agenda is accepted unanimously. Um, let's see, the next item on the agenda is the approval of the minutes from our last meeting on uh, January 12th, 2023, which was our planning meeting. Um, uh, do I have a motion to discuss the minutes? Do we have them even? Yeah, they were in the agenda. There's a link on the agenda um, that you can open. I mean, what I do is I go directly to the Legistar and open them all there, you know, and just to see if, you know, if the public facing part is all correct. Um, I looked over it. It looks fine to me. Um, let's see. Do I have a motion to uh, accept the minutes from our last meeting? Um, Shannon, seconded by Dharma Ackman. Um, any discussion? Okay. Um, let's, uh, whoever approves of the minutes as submitted, please raise your hand or say aye. Aye. Any opposed? I uh, hear or see none, no abstentions. So uh, the minutes are approved as submitted. Um, next item on the agenda is public commentary. Um, this is an opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes. Please call 888-788-0099 and enter meeting ID number 922-9696-1644. Again, that is um, call phone number 888-788. 0099 and enter meeting ID 922-9696-1644. This information is also displayed on the meeting agenda and video feed. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand one by one using the last three digits of your phone number. In order to electronically raise your hand to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone. You will hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any television or background sounds so that we may hear you clearly. Please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. And be patient, there is a delay of up to 30 seconds before a connection is established. So is there anybody on the line yet, Sean? There is not. Okay. Well, we'll wait 30 minutes or 30 seconds. Um, is there anybody there yet, Sean? There's not. Okay, then let's uh, move on. Uh, there is no unfinished business um, uh, this month, so... Let's move on to new business. Uh, the first item is a report on air quality monitoring uh, conducted by uh, city staff, uh, by Sean Reynolds, actually. So, Sean, you have the floor. Great. Thanks, Steve. 
All right, uh, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen for the presentation uh, that was sent out as an attachment as well. All right, hopefully everyone can see that all right. All right, not hearing anyone say that they can't, so I will assume they can. <laughs> oh, yes, I can see it. I can see it. Perfect, thanks. All right. Uh, yeah, so I am going to give a brief report on the air quality monitoring work that we have started in the Office of Sustainability and Innovations uh, and talk a little bit about some of the data that we've gathered so far. Uh, so as a little bit of background, uh, in A20, strategy six, uh, enhance the resilience of our people and our place. One of the actions that is outlined under that strategy is to implement sensors, monitor heat, air quality, waterways, flooding. Um, Specifically, this uh, action calls out collecting data and using sensors to proactively understand risks and mitigate vulnerabilities. And it also says that we should use real-time information to help protect the public from acute and chronic disruptions. Uh, I will quickly mention uh, that it does uh, note waterways and flooding. Uh, those are already handled under our uh, stormwater department. They have sensors on uh, the creeks and uh, on the Huron River. Um, but there was not, uh, there were no um, monitors for heat or air quality uh, operated by the state uh, prior to our work on them. Uh, so before last year, there were no publicly owned air quality, mo air quality monitors anywhere in Ann Arbor. Uh, there are some privately owned air quality monitors, um, including some that are purple air monitors. Uh, if you have a purple air monitor, all of the data that comes from that is publicly available by going to their website. Uh, so there was publicly available data uh, from these privately owned sensors, uh, but purple air primarily only measures particulate matter. Uh, it doesn't measure many of the other pollutants that we can see. Uh, so there really was not any publicly available data on any of those other pollutants. Uh, and in fact, the closest publicly owned monitor is actually in Ypsilanti. Um, and then there are also several over in Detroit. Uh, those are all operated by uh, the state of Michigan. Uh, so why did we feel that was important to start monitoring Ann Arbor's air? Why did we put this uh, as a strategy in the A2.0 plan? Uh, well, our network of air quality monitors is going to provide us with real-time air quality data that is allowing, going to allow us to manage acute and chronic air quality events. So we're going to be able to see when we have air pollution that can or that might be or might pose a risk to human health uh, and let folks know when that is happening. Uh, it's also going to help supplement our carbon emissions information uh, that we are gathering with our greenhouse gas inventory that we do annually. Um, so these sensors do measure carbon dioxide. I'll go through everything they measure later, um, but that is one of the, the things that they measure. Um, so it will help us to see, um, uh, to supplement the information we have on carbon emissions in the city. Uh, it's also going to allow the Office of Sustainability and Innovations to track uh, changes in air quality that are um, associated with the implementation of our eighteen strategies. Uh, so I'll show you a map a little bit later of where we're uh, monitoring, but one of the stations is in the Bryant neighborhood um, that, uh, for those who don't know, is the neighborhood that we're working with to try to make them the first uh, fully decarbonized neighborhood in America. Uh, so we're doing a lot of work in that neighborhood, uh, and we want to see if uh, that work that we're doing is having any impact on the air quality there. Um, so that's uh, one of the reasons we put an air quality monitor in that neighborhood. Uh, all of this data that we're gathering uh, is also going to be able to be used for research. Um, that is both from the city staff side uh, and also anyone else who wants to do research. Um, so this could include 
uh, the University of Michigan uh, professors or students um, be able to access the data to for research purposes. And then also uh, we want the data to be fully transparent and accessible by anyone, um, which will help to increase public awareness of health threats related to air quality. So uh, what are we monitoring? Uh, well, we are using AQ mesh sensor suites. Uh, this here is a picture of what those look like. Uh, the ones that we have are entirely solar powered uh, and all the data that they get uh, is transmitted to us by uh, cellular networks. Uh, so they do not have to be plugged into anything, which is really convenient for uh, being able to place them. We can put them pretty much anywhere as long as it gets enough sunlight to power the solar panel that uh, charges the battery that it runs off. Uh, the ones that we have are measuring a few different things. So they're measuring particulate matter. I mentioned this earlier as something that purple air, um, the, the purple air monitors measure. Um, particulate matter, uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, the easiest way I have to kind of visualize it when I think about it is if you think of dust particles in the air, uh, those are a type of particulate matter. They're much larger than most particulate matter that we're concerned with. Um, but uh, if you think of anything that's not a gas that's floating around in the air, that's particulate matter. Um, and that's measured at two different sizes. So anything less than 2.5 microns and then anything less than 10 microns, uh, the different sizes have different impacts. Um, so uh, for example, smaller particles are more likely to get into folks' um, lungs and potentially cause issues. Uh, and then we are also measuring uh, gases. Uh, those are carbon dioxide, as I mentioned earlier, uh, also carbon monoxide, nitric oxide, nitrous oxide, um, or nitrogen dioxide, sorry, uh, sulfur dioxide and ozone. Uh, and then, um, as I mentioned earlier, we also wanted to be uh, monitoring heat. Uh, so these also have a temperature sensor in there, as well as relative humidity sensor and an atmospheric pressure. Uh, so where we're monitoring, uh, right now we have three different units that are up. The first of those is at the Ann Arbor Farmers Market in Tarrytown. Uh, we put one here because there are a lot of uh, pedestrians out and about in that area uh, for the farmers market on market days, as well as for the other shops in the area. Um, throughout the week, uh, but there's also a lot of uh, roads surrounding the area and a lot of uh, vehicle congestion. Uh, so we wanted to see if uh, there were any potential health impacts to pedestrians uh, in that area due to uh, vehicle traffic. Uh, the second one that is up is at, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Bryant Community Center. Um, again, we put that up to keep track of any changes in air quality in relation to 820 prog uh, programs. Um, but also that neighborhood is a, an area that uh, is really, uh, more likely to experience air quality issues. Um, it is uh, very close to the interstate, as you can see here from the map. Um, it is also very close to the landfill, which is down in this area, and very close to the airport that's over in this area. Uh, so it has a lot of potential sources for poor air quality uh, issues. Excuse me, Sean. Could yep. you, um, it's just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, John Mursky is trying to get in and I think you might see him waiting. Yes, thank you so much. I will promote him to panelist. All right. Um, John, I, I sent the uh, thing to promote you to panelists. So you should be able to join this panelist now. Um, if not, uh, Rita, please let me know, I guess. <laughs> but I'll, I'll keep an eye on it too. Um, all right, uh, the um, third one that we have up is on Main Street at the intersection with Washington uh, in downtown Ann Arbor. 
Uh, this one we put up again, uh, like with the farmer's market, we wanted to uh, see if there were any potential conflicts um, between pedestrians and uh, vehicle traffic. Uh, but uh, we also specifically put one here because this intersection is one that is frequently closed to vehicle traffic, especially in the summer months. Uh, and so we wanted to see if there was any difference in the air quality uh, on days when the road was closed to vehicles versus days when it was open. Uh, and we have plans to install more of these. Uh, we hope to have at least 10 uh, in the network uh, by the time we're done. Um, probably more than that, but at least 10. Uh, I marked a few locations here, Peace Neighborhood Center, uh, Burns Park, and Green Baxter Community Center. Uh, these are all sites of future resilience hubs that we are working on developing uh, in our office uh, in, collaboration, in collaboration with each of those places. Um, and we want to have uh, air quality monitors at each of our uh, resilience hubs. Uh, so we will probably be putting some in at those three spots. Uh, and then, like I said, um, uh, several others across, across the city. All right, uh, so as far as uh, the data goes, um, like I mentioned, we want this to be completely transparent. So all of the data is publicly accessible. Uh, there are a couple of places you can go that I'm gonna share in just a second uh, that um, uh, show this data. Uh, so the first uh, page is a2gov.org slash air quality. Uh, and that, on that page, you'll find a map of all of our sensors uh, showing the AQI uh, from the previous 24 hours. AQI is air quality index. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit later when I'm showing the data, um, but uh, it is the EPA's um, reference uh, kind of way of, um, uh, of reporting uh, air quality. Um, and it is it combines a whole bunch of different gases um, and then looks at whichever one has the highest concentration. Uh, and then uh, assigns a value based on the concentration of that highest pollutant. Um, and it is reported in 24-hour increments. Uh, so that live map shows uh, the, the most recent 24-hour AQI. Uh, and then it also has a, uh, on that webpage, there is a link to download the data uh, in CSV format if you're interested in doing any research or playing around with the data. Any. Uh, and then we also have worked with our IT department to put together an interactive uh, data visualization tool. Um, so that is at a2gov.org slash air data. Uh, and I will show that as well in just a second, um, but it's a really great tool for uh, showing graphs of, of the data over time. Um, really quick before I move over to that, I just wanna to touch on what we've seen so far, far uh, very briefly. Um, the highest AQI value that we've recorded as of when I put this presentation together the other day on the 19th uh, was an AQI of four at the Maine and Washington sensor um, for January 16th and 17th. Um, that uh, AQI was due to particulate matter of less than 2.5 microns. That was the largest pollutant. Uh, but most of the time, the AQIs that we're getting from these sensors are in the one to two range. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing this particular screen and switch over. Um, and I will send the promote to panelist request to John again. See if he pops in. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and my, share my screen for the uh, web pages I was just talking about. All right. Uh, so this first page uh, is the uh, slash air quality page that I talked about first. Um, so you can see here, 
that we have that live map I was talking about. So each of these dots is one of the sensors. So we have Bryant down here showing an AQI of one, um, also an AQI of one at the farmer's market. And then you'll see um, the main Washington one, again, that AQI of four. Uh, to uh, give a little bit of explanation, more explanation about the AQI uh, levels, uh, I'll go ahead and open this. Uh, so this is a table from the EPA. Uh, so you can see there are six different levels of, air, of AQI, uh, ranging from good to hazardous. Uh, levels one and two, good and moderate, uh, those are you know, typically acceptable air quality levels. Um, there's not really much risk for, for anyone at those levels. Uh, once you get to an AQI of three, uh, you have some risk to members of sensitive groups, so folks that have uh, asthma, for example, or other uh, respiratory illnesses. Um, once you get to an AQI of four, then members of the general public might start experiencing um, uh, uh, negative effects uh, from prolonged exposure. Uh, and then uh, five and six, uh, you get to very unhealthy and hazardous. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, most of what we're seeing is in this AQI one of two, which is uh, good. Uh, but we are occasionally getting these threes and fours. Uh, so we are uh, going to start working next on a way to make sure that we can make that information um, not just available, but uh, that we can actually alert folks um, when we're reaching these uh, AQIs that we want to let folks know about. Uh, so I will pop back over here really quick um, and show uh, that here is also the link to download that uh, raw data and CSV form that I mentioned earlier. And then I am going to um, pop over to this time. Uh, so this is the other website I was talking about. Um, so this is the one that is slash air data at the end. Uh, this one gives a nice explanation of what we are measuring and how we're measuring it. Um, so again, it lists those pollutants that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it talks a little bit more about the AQI. Um, so AQI is actually calculated using five different pollutants. So that's ozone, particulate matter, carbon monoxide, sulfur dioxide, and nitrogen dioxide. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, the pollutant that's at the highest concentration determines the value of the AQI. Um, so those values can actually range from zero to 500, but then those are subdivided into the different levels of AQI from one through six. Um, and then it has that same table that I showed earlier uh, and talks a little bit more about the units of measurement. Uh, and then if you scroll down, it actually shows the um, sensors themselves uh, and what their, their most recent observation was. Uh, the North Main in Washington, you can see is offline. We're having some issues with that sensor. Uh, we think that there's a loose wire or something. We need to get out there and check on it. Um, but it keeps uh, kind of going offline for a little bit and then coming back online. Um, most of the time when it comes back online, it backfills all the data that was uh, collected while it was offline, which is good. Um, but occasionally we have lost a little bit of data from that one, so we have to get out there and see what's going on there. Um, but the other two you can see are, are actively reporting. Uh, and then if you come down here, um, at the bottom of this first tab, there is the daily AQI. So again, this is the AQI over each 24-hour period um, at each of the sites. Uh, you can see that that North Main in Washington has been showing an AQI of four uh, lately when it's been reporting. Um, but the other two sites, you can see that the AQI has been two or less um, the, the last few weeks, at least. Uh, there's another tab up here um, for pollutants. So this one shows individual pollutants over time. Um, it takes a little bit of time for the graphs to load sometimes. 
but this first one shows um, all of the different pollutants at any given station. Um, you can actually change which station you're looking at. If you click on this little arrow over here, it opens the sidebar. Um, so you can see right now we're looking at the farmer's market, um, but I could change that to one of the other ones. Um, and then also you can actually change the time range uh, to right now, I think we're set to the last 10 weeks. Um, yeah, it shows the last 10 weeks, but I could change that to, to something else. Um, but for right now, we'll just look at this one. Um, so this is the farmer's market over the past 10 weeks. Um, you can see this uh, bar up here, this horizontal line. That is representative of the uh, AQI of level of three or higher. Um, so again, three or higher is when we see potential health effects to folks. So we want to know if um, or when uh, these uh, sensors are reporting an AQI of three or higher. So we have that uh, line there to, to really demonstrate to folks um, whether the, the pollutant concentrations are high enough that they would uh, be equivalent to an AQI of three or higher. Uh, and then if you scroll down, you'll see that each individual per, um, pollutant has its own graph. Um, this, in this case, separated out by the three different sites. Um, so again, you can see that uh, particulate matter less than 2.5 uh, was what was causing the AQI of or higher at the main in Washington. And here you can see the main in Washington is the, the orange graph. Um, so you can see that it quite frequently got over this point, which would be an AQI of three. Um, but uh, the, and nowhere else is it really peaking over that. Um, and if you look at all of the other pollutants, they don't ever get to a point that they're high enough that it would be an AKUI of three. Uh, and then we also have carbon dioxide and nitric oxide down here at the bottom. Those are not uh, involved in the AQI calculation. Uh, so they are not scaled to AQI like the rest are. I think I forgot to mention that, sorry. Um, but these are these other ones are scaled. Uh, so the data is um, relative to what AQI value that concentration would um, would give you. Um, but these ones that are not involved in the AQI calculation are just the raw data with the raw units. Uh, and then finally, we have a weather tab here, uh, which shows the temperature, relative humidity, and atmospheric pressure, um, again, at each of the, the three stations. Um, so like here with the temperature, for example, you can see that severe dip that we had around Christmas time. Um, and with that, uh, that is a brief overview of what we've been doing and what we've seen so far. So I will go ahead and stop sharing. And I see hands. So, um, Steve, do you want to kind of moderate, or do you want me to just call and uh, No, no, go ahead, Sean. You can you can handle the Q and A. Okay, great, thanks. All right, um, I see Anne's hand first. Hi, thanks. Thanks for this presentation. I, I was just a little bit confused about the the numbers there, the AQI. You showed the the scale with the green and the yellow and the orange, and it had like num green was like zero to fifty, mm -hmm. and then you said AQI of four, and I, I wasn't clear how those correlate to one another. Yeah, uh, so um, the AQI is a little tricky. There's a complicated calculation, like, um, but I'll try to simplify it. Um, basically, it's uh, you look at those five different pollutants that I mentioned, um, and uh, you look at their concentrations over the last 24 hours. So again, it's over a 24-hour period, uh, and uh, you find out which of those had the highest concentration during that 24-hour period. And then you look at the concentration of that pollutant, and if that concentration is over a certain 
value, then um, so like each value of concentration corresponds to a value on the AQI. Yeah, I think, calculation. yeah I think actually what my question is, does an AQI of four mm -hmm. correspond to one of those colored bars? Uh, yes, I see. Sorry. Um, yeah, let me go ahead and share that graph again really quick. Our table, sorry. Uh, yes, so an AQI of four would be this fourth level here, unhealthy red. Um, so that's oh. the value of 151 to 200. Okay. Uh, AQI right. of three is orange, two is yellow, and one is green. Okay, so, that that really helps because I thought like uh, one to four, that was all well within the green. So that yeah. so was why I was confused. Yeah, yeah, sorry um, about and, that. Yeah, and then my, my next question is just then like, it's wonderful to like, you know, you get these numbers, but then you're like, okay, why do we have such high, you know, um, small fine particulate in the air at, at, mm -hmm. at uh, Maine and Washington streets? And so what do you, you know, what's the next step then? Of, you know, how do you determine what's causing that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so like I said, our, our, our next step definitely is figuring out how we're going to get alerts out to folks. Um, but we are also looking into figuring out um, what the causes are. Um, particulate matter typically is uh, from cars uh, burning fossil fuels, um, engines burning fossil fuels. It's it's what's released in car exhaust. Um, so we expect that that particulate matter is likely coming from traffic at the intersection. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we definitely need to figure out how to do some digging to figure out exactly what is causing it. Um, and if it is vehicle traffic, then maybe we have some evidence for reducing traffic in downtown. Um, all right, uh, Commissioner Gabriel, I see your hand. Uh, you're muted. Sorry about that. Um, and I had the exact same question as you did. <laughs> and I think to to avoid confusion in terms of have the page and all that kind of thing, if you just I don't know if that that colored um, kind of row uh, diagram is yours or from somewhere else, but somehow indicating the AQI in relation to that would make it just a whole lot more clear for people being able to navigate that whole system because it was, you're sort of intimating it based on the color and, but um, that would be really helpful, I think, for people just to user friendliness wise to be able to make that um, more clear. Mm -hmm. um, my, my other question is, do you measure uh, volatile organic compounds or VOCs through this program or not? Uh, no, that is not something that's measured by the the sensors that we got. Okay, um, it's just something to I don't know. It, it just depends. You have to choose, I guess. There are a few. There's a spot in Ann Arbor in West Park where there's place where um, the creek comes through, um, and it is you walk over it and you have to hold your breath. It is so strong when it's raging out of that thing, and um, we've talked to people at the city before, it means water quality testing. It's like, nobody seems to want to take it on, but it's so distinct. And so many people from that neighborhood know what's going on with it. Um, and it would be a way to be able to kind of acknowledge like what's happening in certain hotspots of areas. Um, so I guess it, that um, sort of relates to climate and that it's, you know, it's clearly some sort of gasoline, some sort of oil, something. Leaking is obviously a problem. That's an issue with water quality too. And you know, maybe we can talk about this more um, with the water quality group. But um, there's different ways of 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 being able to detect that stuff. You know, and air air is one way. 
right? So um, mm -hmm. it's just something to consider, I guess, in all of this uh, too is, and I, I get it that you can't measure everything. Um, and I think it's cool to see what you are, what you are measuring, um, but it's just something to consider as, as a, um, an issue that happens in, in, in all over, but you know, definitely in a few spots in Ann Arbor, I've noticed it quite a bit before. So something that I think the public notices, a lot of these things we don't notice unless it's, you know, whatever asthma rates go up or somebody who's really sensitive may start reacting, but many of us can pick up if it really stinks of uh, gasoline or oil. So it's something to consider. Thanks though for your work. This is interesting to see. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and I, I will say that uh, the uh, sensors, unfortunately, they can only fit so many, you know, actual sensors in each monitor. Um, so we kind of had to pick and choose, but we do have the option of for future monitors to to switch it up and change some other ones. If we have a spot where we know we specifically want to measure VOCs, for example, we could easily get one that would measure VOCs. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, all right, Commissioner Oriel, I see your hand. Yeah, thank you for the presentation. I just wanted to make sure that I understand how this system does its measurements. So you mentioned that OSI collects the highest value over a 24-hour period at each system. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So these the monitors are actually, they're collecting data pretty much cont uh, continuously. I think it's uh, every five minutes, every 10 minutes, something like that. We actually get a data ping. Um, but for the AQI purposes, uh, that's calculated over 24-hour periods. So we're actually taking that data, and then we're um, taking getting the 24-hour average for each pollutant, and then putting that into the AQI calculation. Okay, I see. That was my main question. I was curious to know how often the measurements were being taken by the system. Um, and just to end on a quick comment, I am really, um, I'm really curious to see how. This data will be uh, visualized and shared with the community, you know, what key trends we'd like to, the community to see and how it would be visualized in such a way that the AQI is understandable uh, for, for everybody and uh, perhaps even translated in different languages based off of the community in Ann Arbor. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that will um, develop. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Chair President Brown. See your hand. Um, yes, Sean, thank you so much. That's uh, that's an excellent project. Um, I would I just missed when was the installation date for these monitors? Uh, so they're actually installed at different times. Um, the farmers market one went up first. That was in I believe uh, May of 2022. Uh, the Bryant one went up a little bit after that, so probably June. And then the one at Maine and Washington I think went up in around October. Oh, okay. So you have less than a year of data. Yes. So far. Um, I had another, the other question was what about calibration? Um, how often are these calibrated? And uh, I, me, for example, I bought a purple air monitor a couple of years ago. So I think, um, you know, the Ecology Center has been using these devices more in Detroit than in, uh, in Ann Arbor. So I was wondering um, if, there, if the city, uh, if there was a way people could maybe calibrate their purple air monitors against the city's air monitors and how the city's um, air monitors are calibrated against the EPA's um, more elaborate gear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. And thank you for bringing that up because I actually forgot to mention um, that the, the data we're collecting is these monitors are not considered to be EPA reference monitors. Um, so it is, it's not considered to be 
you know, accurate enough uh, for EPA use. Um, but we do, uh, they um, have been calibrated against an EPA reference uh, sensor that is over in uh, Detroit. Uh, I forget which which part of Detroit, um, but uh, we went over to one of those and we put these up um, next to it for um, two or three weeks um, and, and took a look at the measurements and, and compared them to, to kind of calibrate it. Um, so it has been referenced uh, next to an EPA sensor. Um, and uh, the company, I believe, recommends to do that once every two years, something along those lines. We'll, we'll be frequently taking them out there to, to recalibrate them. Um, and, and folks are welcome to bring their sensors to one of our sites and, and calibrate them against ours if they'd like to. Okay. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Council Member Dish. Sorry, lowering my hand and muting. I haven't mastered that at the same time. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about the Maine and Washington reading. And I think it's a good bet that that's traffic. It's interesting that it was those days. Um, it will be really fun when you have that up for the majority of the football season, because there'll be a lot of traffic on Maine. And that is just another argument for taking over control of Main Street from MDOT. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, and uh, Vice Chairperson Mitchell. Oh, you are muted. Thought I did that. Um, my question is um, whether there is a possibility to use um, some mobile testing for some episodic concerns that might come up. Um, I don't know what those might be, but I, you know, when I hear about the West Park situation, it might be interesting to have something that we could move around um, according to something that's brought to people's attention. Um, is is there a spare unit or or something available that that could be moved? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, we have discussed. Uh, we haven't uh, got, uh, looked into it thoroughly yet, uh, but we have discussed getting um, another type of sensor. Uh, these are relatively small, but they're not particularly portable, especially with the, the solar panel and everything. Um, so it would have to be a, a different sensor, um, a more portable one, but we have discussed getting some more smaller, more portable ones um, and having uh, folks um, be able to take those out on their bike rides or on their walks um, or you know wherever with them um, to, to measure air quality as they move. Um, and so that would be a really great way to to get um, uh, that more uh, small scale data. Uh, I see uh, Commissioner Chairperson Brown is holding up a, a portable one that he has. Um, so it'd be something like that. Um, we have discussed, um, you know, uh, bringing in the, the 10,000 trees initiative a little bit uh, that I run. Uh, we've discussed having a survival study of that. So having interns go around and check up on the trees that we've distributed already. Um, and I think it would be a great uh, opportunity to kind of combine projects and have them wear those as they're biking around the city to check up on the trees, um, just to to get a sense of what air quality is all across town. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wasn't thinking of moving them and measuring, but I was thinking of having them having various locations where you could test during the course of a day. So I'm not familiar with the testing process, but I, that sounds very interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. That's I hadn't thought of that, but that's something to keep in mind too. Um, let's see here. Uh, Commissioner Mursky. Thank you. Um, I apologize for joining late. I had a bad day. Identity theft, the last old day. 
Um, so uh, a quick comment and a quick question. The comment is that PM 2.5 is primarily coming from trucks, diesel trucks and cars, and also very old vehicles. So that's really what, what's probably driving the TM 2.5. The question that I had is, um, and I'm hoping someone recollects this more clearly than I do. My recollection is that in kitchens with gas burning stoves, EPA criteria pollutant levels are four times higher than the limits that are allowed outdoors. And there are no limits set indoors. Does that sound right to anybody? Sounds yeah, like a news right. report. Um, they can be up to like 250 parts per billion for NOx, for example, for NOx. And uh, that's the one that I think is usually mentioned by the EPA is the nitrogen oxides, because that's a particular irritant for um, asthmatics. So that's all I'll, I'll interject. So Sarah has her hand up, Sean. Yep. Uh, did that fully answer the question, um, John? Uh, I don't know if Sarah had one something to add to that, but um, yeah, I, I think it's something maybe that it would be good to bring back to the commission what exactly the, the numbers are, because we're obviously worried about indoor um, pollution, but uh, or outdoor pollution, but most people are indoors a hell of a lot more. And if we're worried about these pollutant levels and they're much, much higher in natural gas burning homes, then that says that uh, really we need to be focused there, or continue to be focused there. Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I just had a quick question. So I wasn't familiar with the AQI analysis and I just kind of looked it up. Um, so you said you guys took 24 hour averages. Was that just for like the particulate matter? And then on here it says like you take different averages for the different compounds depending on their toxicity. Is that yeah, right? So it's the the averages are uh, different per, depending on the pollutant. It's complicated okay. about I which just one is to make sure. uh, But okay. it's reported over a 24 hour period. Um, so okay. yeah, I, I apologize. Okay. I misspoke earlier. But, it's very complicated. I'm a yes. toxicologist, so I like to think about it. Um, and then the other thing, I was looking at the different like weather um, items you guys are tracking. Um, I know that like sunlight can impact ozone formation. Um, obviously, like wind can impact the air quality as well. Are you guys also tracking those uh, physical parameters? Uh, those unfortunately aren't aren't measured. Um, that's that's a really good point, though. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll do some digging and see if the, those are um, sensors that could be added on. That that would be really nice to see. Yeah, yeah. There might be like supplemental data from different monitoring stations within Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. um, but I would think for like your long term tracking, you know how you said like you wanted to look at um, like changes over time and things like that. That all those like physical parameters will wonk up how your analysis comes out. So it'd be good to have more data, more supplemental data. Right, definitely. And we, we do have a network of weather sensors um, that I, I think measures uh, things like that. I don't know if it measures exactly like daylight or, or wind, um, but but if it does, then we could certainly use that data, even if it's not at the exact spot that our sensors are. Sounds good. Thank you for your presentation, really interesting. Yeah, thank you for the questions. Um, and uh, Trippers and Brown. 
Um, yeah, thank you, Sean. I think um, if there's no other questions, I think we might move on to the next uh, agenda item. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you all. Um, so the next item on the agenda is a discussion of the draft natural features ordinances um, uh, by the uh, working group leader, Chris Graham. So Chris, you have the floor. Can I share my screen, Sean? Yes, I will make you a co-host so you can do that. Got it. So I will read a draft resolution and this is a draft, something we can work on over the next month or two or whatever it takes us to get through this. Um, this package of amendments actually is a pretty major recommendation to the council for some changes to our um, development code in the city. And so the resolution is fairly important. You would like me to read it, Stephen? I can. Whereas the city of Ann Arbor has declared a climate emergency and adopted a climate action plan, which at least acknowledged the importance of trees and called for the protection and enhancement of our tree canopy. Whereas Doug Ptolemy and Richard Dark and their books, Bringing Nature Home and The Living Landscape brought far more recognition to the need to use our communities, our backyards to support the diversity of life, including birds, pollinators, caterpillars, trees, and native plants. Whereas such restoration work is important, is as important as, as carbon emissions in, redu in, re in reducing, in the reduction and protecting Earth's human life-giving biome. Uh, whereas Ann Arbor is fortunate to have natural areas of public and private woodlands, especially native forest fragments that are own that are our own refuges, refuges of native species. They are models of native ecosystems we can bring to our backyards. Whereas we are fortunate to have a natural areas program in our city, which for 25 years has worked to restore and sustain the diversity of native species on our natural areas. Their work can guide our efforts. Whereas for 20 years, protections for our natural features in the city have been part of the site planning process for development, which has indeed reduced loss of natural features. Whereas it's vital to protect as many old trees as we can, especially natives, they sink the most carbon and recharge the most rain to the soil. Whereas the original natural features amendments were adopted in the early 2000s, much has since been learned and now more is needed. Therefore, be it resolved that the Environmental Commission recommends to Council that these new proposed draft amendments to the Unified Development Code be accepted, then promptly sent to the Planning Commission and planning staff for review and consideration. Resolved that since plans are imminent to condense the city's master plans, one of which is a natural features master plan, into a single document, likely much reducing the presence of the city's concern for natural features to a few abbreviated pages, that the council asked the CPC to consider the matter without delay. Uh, resolve that since these matters involve issues not generally or fully in the wheelhouse of planners, that the planning staff along city forced to be asked to collaborate members of the Environmental Commission and its Natural Features Committee to work on changes as may be important to them. Resolve that council asked the CPC and planning staff to concurrently begin work in collaboration with the EC and the NFC on a best management practices handbook. 
Resolve the CPCBS to transmit the revised proposed amendments to the attorney's office for review at the earliest possible date, again, with request to them to review without delay. Resolve the council ask that the attorney final CPC and EC, EC review the proposed language that recommendations be made to council to adopt these changes into code. Resolve that the final draft language be brought back to council within this calendar year. I will move it. I hope someone will second. I do not intend that we vote on this this evening. There is much discussion and I hope suggestions and changes and other people to consult with before we um, have a final package to send up to the council. I don't know if it'll be next month, I would hope, but uh, if it's two, that's okay. Um, before we have a final vote and send it up to council. Okay. Yeah, I hear I hear the sense of urgency, Chris, and um, um, and I would agree with it. Um, it's a complicated package. Um, it looks like you've ordered things in a very logical way. Um, so are the resolve clauses like um, prioritized in terms of the order of things that need to be that you think need to be done to go through the city's process, the planning commission, and the staff and council. Um, the attorney's office. Some are easy. Some of these sections are easy amendments. Um, the um, the landmark trees, which becomes landmark and heritage trees section, is more complicated because we're adding a new natural feature, and that's heritage trees. These are native trees that have a certain threshold of size. And the mitigation requirements, the, the cost of taking them is increased from what just the simple landmark tree was, doubled, actually. Um, most complicated of all is the woodland section. When we originally wrote these um, amendments, we didn't do anything special to protect woodlands. Um, that is to say, the same mitigation requirements that applied to trees applied to trees in woodlands. Uh -huh. And um, what's become clear over the last 20 years is that our native forest fragments are extraordinarily important to us. They are a serious component of the scenery of the city in fall, especially when the colors turn. They are, um, as I've said, our refuges of our native species. Um, they are a facsimile of the ecosystems that existed in Ann Arbor um, in 1824 when Europeans arrived here and began to take the place apart ecologically. Right, and, right. Um, you're preaching to the choir here, Chris. Um, <laughs> I think, um, I think though, um, I assume that um, that a certain number of the city's offices have already reviewed these suggestions. You know, like parks. Um, natural no. features of city forester. The first, the natural features committee works for the environmental commission. You guys are the first. There yeah. are some people that have contributed clearly, but uh, there's been no formal review throughout the city yet. Okay. Uh, Sean, you have your hand up. Yeah, just um, an opportune time to note that I, I did get a request uh, specifically from NAP staff, um, but I'm sure there are a lot of other staff as well that would like to review these before it goes on the council. So just wanted to put forward that I did have a request to have staff review it. I'm, I'm hoping that will happen. And Thank we'll you. begin to send it elsewhere myself. 
tomorrow or Monday. Okay. Do you, do you have a list of offices you'd like to send it to? And uh, are you are you anticipating like uh, a kind of sign off process? Like um, the different departments could just check off uh, whether they're my uh, whether they're perfectly satisfied or. Uh, that's probably more properly done by the planning commission and the planning staff who have uh, a lot more anchors in again the natural features committee it doesn't work for the city it works for the environmental commission uh -huh. so our job is to pass it on to the council and for the council to trigger the review process um, but informally and to try to get the language improved before it even goes up the council is a good idea. So mm -hmm. we'll do it. No, we I agree. I just remember what we went through over the uh, over the chapter forty, the title three, chapter forty revisions. I still haven't seen it back yet. That's correct. So uh, Shannon, you have your hand up. I'm a little confused about the order um, because it seems like you would. That's. Are you thinking that it would go to city council so that it can then be reviewed by these others or that it would go to these others? Before? I mean, it seems like city council is the last step that gets, you know, worked into city code. The so environmental commission like is advisory to the council. We have only one route that we can take our recommendations and that's through the council. Goes there first, then the council disposes of it how they will. Hopefully they will send it through the process, which goes down to the planning commission and the planning staff. We 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 don't have any ability to ask the attorney or the planning commission directly to do things. It's okay, so it has to go to so, the environmental commission. So your your hope is that we get a bunch of staff input so that it can have kind of a um, like a a, for, a, a vetting essentially. Well, um, have those get it, things satisfied. They can have it now or later. Either way, I I just doubt that city council is going to pass this without they won't pass it. They, changes and things like that that would need to happen. Um, that's they get a resolution of, here which asks them to send it onward and put it in the process formally. Yeah, that's I, I, I do. okay. And so, um, so Steve, when you've done the other ones, is that what it's gone on to city? Like you had staff do it first and then it's going into city council and then it's going back to the attorney or like, how is that working with the, the other chapter that you all are working on? Uh, it's prudent to pass it through staff. Um, it's, you know, just to get their input. But, uh, you know, Chris is right that um, we need to, we need to, uh, our resolution needs to be addressed to council. To instruct the city, to instruct the city uh, manager, city administrator, to to do something. So that should be, uh, you know, more specific in the resolve clauses. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe listing the departments that they that we think uh, should we should review this package and what order they should be reviewed in. Um, that's my uh, that's my feeling. Okay, so that's that's a. Uh process question that I have. And then there's just a bunch of kind of like editing kinds of things. There's certain things that don't feel very ordinance-like in terms of the language of it. Um, sentence fragments, you know what I mean? Things that just don't feel like they're part of our normal code. They are not. Hyperbolic at points, you know? And so it's like, how does it, 
how does it get sort of tightened up and um, more kind of consistent with the, the kind of language that we have throughout the rest of the UDC. Um, so, because so, it seems to me that there needs to be a level of editing first on that, in, in, with that, and then it goes to staff rather than having them, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, it's a huge effort that you've taken here. I mean, it's admirable, it's a, but it's a massive effort with all kinds of interlacing. You know, this is oh. something that I work in, you know, frequently with my job. In, outside of environmental permission. And it's confusing to me, you know, and, and I work in this, you know, so it's like thinking about how all these pieces and parts interact. You know, if, I mean, you know, you pull one string and then all of a sudden all these other pieces start, um, you know, getting getting unraveled and yanked on, on things. And so I think I, I would, um, I think it needs some level of, um, of kind of figuring out and tightening up and and making more consistent with the, the kind of language of the rest of our ordinances before it goes on even to staff in some ways to sort of get it to that point. And then, then it would go to staff. I mean, um, it's, it's tough too, because I mean, just, I mean, Lisa can tell you too, the bandwidth that planning commission has right now to be able to work on something like this in terms of that level of editing is not, is not gonna, it's like that need, that level needs to be done um, at a different place rather than with them, um, because it's it's been very difficult for Lisa and I. To, things that we really are care about. It's really been hard for us to be able to get things on the group agenda for for our for what we're trying to work on for the next two years. Um, so um, uh, now, if something comes down from city council saying you have to work on this, then that's different, right? That gets sort of automatically put on our plate. Um, but those are some of my initial initial thoughts. So if I can respond, Please. Shannon, the current code has language in it that has the same problems you're suggesting. That is to say, it's not typical code language. And the reason is that natural features are not in any way called out as a thing that can be regulated in state law. Whereas almost every other aspect of zoning in our code is called out and enabled by state law. The language that's in the code currently was originally called guidelines. It wasn't put into an ordinance because we were afraid that this level of regulation, this kind of regulation would be easy to sue against. Um, what was happening back then was we would have major projects happen that would tear down a lot of trees and fill in wetlands. And the public would rise up and say, no, you don't. And then council members would spend the next six or nine months in a negotiated, very complicated set of meetings between the developer and themselves and those of us who opposed destroying natural features to finally get a, an agreement on a development and not, made nobody happy. Um, although some natural features were saved in almost every one of those cases. These guidelines, which were very wordy, like this set of documents is, and like the current code is, um, were put into the code when we consolidated all of the development, desperate development 
statutes, ordinances into one. Um, if we're going to lose the master plan, we really need to have enough language in the ordinance so that when you go to court, you have the justification and rationale for why it's important to have protection for native forest fragments, why it's important to have protection for heritage trees, why they're important to us. That's what a master plan does. The guidelines were developed to, to help the planners figure out how to negotiate with developers. Why, why, it says why. And I, I agree, this is not normal code language, but especially if we lose the master plan, we need to do this to some degree. Uh -huh. I'm, there's always a there's always a way to say things less in fewer words, but uh, the the substance of the explanation needs to be here because it's not going to be any place else. And I, I hear what you're saying. And there was I, I get it that there were these sections, especially in the sections where you were describing each of the areas that were that was that's in the existing code. Yep. I would say that these um, sort of take it further down that road in terms of the way that they're written. And so I would encourage that same tone that you have from the last time and, and to be able to kind of tighten it up. To, I get it that it's not like this many inches and blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's not like that. You're trying to describe why, but that it's, it still kind of um, feels, it just has a different feeling about it in some ways than, than the one from before. And I'm not saying that you, that, you know, it's 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 not okay to state things in a way that um, indicates how important things are to us. But there's, I think there's, I think that the 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 style of the one from before um, sits better within the context of the code than the style of the ones that are in front of us right now. And I think the the content can still be in there, but that just stylistically, again, there's you know. There's sentence there's not complete sentences. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's just things that need to be kind of tightened up and smoothed out and figured out. Um, and uh, so that it just feels more um, cohesive. Well, maybe you can zoom with me and show me exactly where. Give me some examples anywhere, and then maybe we can work on it a bit. I, as I said, uh, it's always there are always shorter ways to say things. Okay. It's quite difficult to do that, like writing poetry. Right. Okay. Yeah, hopefully you, you two can do that offline. Um, John, you have your hand up. Thank John you. Martin. Briefly, um, just from a process point of view, I, I second Chris's motion. I think we really should have a second to before we go into discussion of the resolution. So at least from a process perspective, um, we have that on the table. So there's a motion in a second and now it's open for discussion um secondly i just want to affirm some of the things that that chris has said it's at least been our understanding so chris and i and wendy carmen have been the ones working on this off and on for probably the last two and a half years and um our our sense was um, twofold first of all that uh well maybe three three things are worthwhile make uh, stating that we were um, a little bit more verbose than probably what is appropriate with the sense that um, having language uh, in, in ordinance has proven in multiple court cases around the country 
um, important because it, it really sets the justification for um, the ordinance and then the ability of the, the municipality to defend the, the, or, the ordinance or the, the, the code. Um, secondly, um, we are not regular code writers. And so um, we, you know, we, we took it to a place where we thought the content was all there. And we applied, I would say, the third principle, and that is um, we felt that our work on this to the point where we felt it was perfect was likely to be dramatically edited along the way by planning commission, by legal, by city council. And so we could stew over this and do all the editing um, that maybe Shannon might think is good, but then have um, what we put together be taken apart and put together completely differently by staff, by planning, by city council. So rather than the perfect being, at least our perfect being the enemy of the good, we wanted to get it to this, this group so that we could discuss exactly these things and decide how to do this because we've been we've been tweaking this chris how long have we been tweaking these probably for just what what you see in front of us has not changed dramatically in a year in a calendar year's time i would say i mean there's been there's been some minor changes so that's why we wanted to get this in front of you and finally get some input and hopefully get it to others who are professional code writers and would have a sense of what is going to stand up legally what is the kind of thing that planning and the city is likely to adopt as opposed to those of us who do this you know once every couple of years where we help write um you know ordinance language so lisa go ahead well um, um I, thanks i wanted to um just acknowledge the incredible work that you guys have done this is incredible and it's important um, I think your instinct to stop here was excellent because <laughs> I think you're right. You guys could hone and hone and hone and it probably wouldn't be helpful. Um, I, I think we, it, it would be a good idea to think about process a little more deeply and actually possibly, um, check in with a couple of staff and maybe Mr. Mr. Dahoney on what course this should take. Um, you are right that as an advisory board, uh, body to council, um, the resolution has to direct council to direct blah, blah, blah. But um, my, I think that as I've seen these things um, that come out of commissions to council, Usually they don't even get voted on, they get bounced right back to staff and then back through the appropriate commissions. So, and typically, and this is enormous, and it's a multiple departmental effort, right? This is going to take, you know, yeah, the planning people, yeah, the legal people, and some of the, you know, the, 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 the grounds people, the people who approve. Arts, you know, forestry, yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that is really hard to do in the city because it's very hard to get them to coordinate their efforts and their schedules and their attention. So I don't know which staff group should get it first, but I, I, I think that it 
does not make a lot of sense for Environmental Commission to vote on this and send it to council before there's been some staff input on it. But I would I say that tentatively because I think it, the best thing to do is to check in with staff and Mr. Dahoney and figure out where it's going to fit. And just a couple of words of caution. Uh, the planning department is about to get, you know, all engaged in the comprehensive plan. So there, you know, for a, a large project like this is going to be there. I don't know what kind of staff capacity there would be right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, and um, the, um, you know, the, the OSI staff has a lot of work on its plate as well. So I don't know where it would go fall in its priorities. So um, I think our, our best bet is to, to, to try to figure out how staff wants to treat it. And then in terms of formatting, it is really helpful if you're modifying a section and not just generating all new stuff to have a redlined copy. That is the way we are used to seeing things on planning. And it is really hard for anyone, whether planning commissioner or even staff member to receive a document that says we're modifying something, but it doesn't show the text um, that's, you know, that's being proposed to be eliminated and what's being, and so that at a very minimum would need to be done before this even went to staff because that's asking, you know, too much for them to, to do, to see modifications that they don't know um, what the baseline was. So um, I, I would definitely recommend, as Shannon did some, uh, excuse me, Commissioner Gibrandle did some editing first. And in the meantime, we can do some nosing around and see how staff and the city administrator would like, oh yeah, to get this treated. And the other thing I, that flew on my head earlier was, and of course, council is about to go through the budget process. And so there's not going to be a whole lot of room for anything as huge as this until after the budget is settled. So that's kind of um, uh, where we are. But I think that there's some room to get this in shape. So there's some, you know, there's some lead time while, while you know, your key actors are busy with other stuff. Okay. Um um, anybody else wish to make a comment? Raise your hand. Or uh, John Calvert. Yeah. Um, echoing what others have said, thank you so much for all the years of work, it sounds like, that you've put into this. Um, I'm wondering if you can help by my understanding by, like, what's the scope of this? I mean, this is not my area, but I'm trying to understand, are we talking about everything within the city? Are we talking about city lands? Are we talking about private lands and developers? Who's impacted? My sense is it's everybody, but I just wanted to hear a little bit about that. Uh, for the moment, it's anyone who has to go through the site planning process for a project in the city, which is all commercial projects and anything larger than a single family, two family house project. This is a, Site planning. All of the all of the UDC is a site planning process. So this is for projects like Concord Pines on Earhart Road. Or the hey John, you have your hand up. Um, quickly, Chris. I don't think you included it in 
um, your resolution, but there was a resolution passed by city council, albeit a year and a half, two years ago, directing uh, the administrator and city staff to, to provide support, support for review of, of these types of ordinances, if I recall correctly. Chris, can you share the, the language with us? Or, and I don't know if it, because it was passed so long ago, if it's even relevant anymore, because obviously priorities and staff capacity and everything else has changed in the meantime. Council members have changed. There were two really that were important. One, maybe five years ago, uh, that asked the Environmental Commission to review the status of the Natural Features Ordinance in Ann Arbor. We don't have one of those. We had a set of amendments like these are mm -hmm. to various chapters in the code. The Wetlands Ordinance, the um, Development Ordinance, Chapter 57, um, and uh, um, the uh, second one, and we did that. And it was a multi-page legal-sized document that came up to the Environmental Commission maybe three years ago, maybe four, three, I guess. The second more recent <clears throat> council resolution was to ask, ask the Environmental Commission to do more to protect heritage trees. The third thing that happened was climate change arrived in Ann Arbor at long last. <laughs> And we decided we had a climate emergency and Mr. Dark and Mr. Talamy's books arrived at the printers, really indicating how important um, the connection between sustaining species on this earth of ours is to what we do in our backyards. And the four things put together resulted in the ideas that are embodied in these four ordinances, which is to tighten the mitigation requirements for taking especially large and old trees and taking native forest fragments and another category, qualified urban woodlands, where you have a seriously nice, not native, but nice woodland on a property that's being developed. So okay. there's some motivations. Uh -huh. Um, Commissioner Dale, you have your hand up. Yeah, I have a follow-up question about the scope. So I, I understand that it wouldn't um it wouldn't apply to single family residences to you know someone removing trees on their own property. Um does it apply to does it apply to right-of-way, public right-of-way? Does it and does it apply to Ann Arbor public schools? Because like the public schools are also exempt from zoning, right? So so those are the other cases where it doesn't apply, correct? Does not apply to schools, does apply to any city projects on public land, does not apply to the university, does not apply to single family houses yet. We would like to do a step two here where we do some kind of mini natural features requirement for people redeveloping single family properties so that trees get protected. We're losing dozens of old trees a year on projects on single family properties. And we think we can do something with a grading permit that's similar to what we've required for um, uh, stormwater retention. Yeah, I, I can say I've seen it in my neighborhood like crazy. You know, between between just the removal of, um, of trees on the lawn extensions 
and people removing things on their own yard. It's the the landscape of my neighborhood has changed significantly in the last couple of years as far as tree canopy cover. Well, again, the entire thrust of the way this works is not to have a permit to take a tree. It's not to say no, yes or no, in every instance of every tree. It's to give performance standards. And most of all, on single-family properties, to make sure that mature trees aren't lost, not because they were cut down in order to do an addition, but because the contractors drove over the roots and killed them which is the way most of them are going. Unintended loss is huge. But that's another that's another year <laughs> we get into single-family mm -hmm. property. Okay, uh, Commissioner Ackman, you, you have your hand up. Yeah, I just wanted to second what uh, Councilmember Dish said about the redlining. And this is probably largely a function of me being new, but I feel like I have no context really for this. Like, how much it differs from what we do today in Ann Arbor. Um, and that would be just really helpful because otherwise I just feel like I have no, no basis. Um, I'm also curious whether you modeled it on other municipalities or kind of what was your, what was your inspiration? What were you using to guide this? Uh, I have done red line versions of the woodlands and the tree sections and they are Byzantine. Uh, because the language was so much updated in both of those sections. The others are easy. Um, you might not like what you ask for. We'll see. Um, in the case of modeling on other communities, we were the model. We invented this stuff in the early 1990s. Um, nobody else had been doing it. And again, I say again, the state enabling ordinances, statutes for zoning, don't talk about natural features. We, we put another line in our development ordinances. A petitioner shall, to the fullest extent possible, minimize the damage to natural features. Nobody else's code has that. We've gotten away with it because the trade-off of being able to negotiate a good deal about protecting natural features at the planning staff level before a petition went up to the planning commission for approval, solved the problem of controversy. And instead of a long drawn out process where people were fighting about protecting every natural feature they could, that got negotiated in based on the standards, the guidelines, the language, the original language that you're seeing. And in return, the developer got prompt decision. Time is money for those guys. And, and only when we've overstepped our bounds a little bit have we gotten sued. Most of the time, it's just been wonderful. In the case of Concord Pines on, on Earhart, a lot of very nice trees were cut down there. They couldn't all be fit on that property as replacement trees, even under our current code, and we're strengthening it. Um, they had to put into the tree fund a quarter million dollars plus plant a whole lot of trees on their property. So uh, we've had some high impact over the last 20 years and done it very smoothly. But as I say, it's not enabled in the state statutes for us to do this, which is why the language. Okay, so does this need to be um, 
maybe emphasized in more detail in the city's policy agenda with the state legislature that uh, whatever reforms in the UDC code should either um, allow more local control or to maybe explicitly add natural features protections. Well, I did look at that document and it's really a big mouthful as it stands. Uh -huh. <laughs> sure. Goodness. Sure, sure, Chris. Well, um, it looks like you have all the content there. Um, what I'm hearing, I just want to uh, propose something. And what I'm hearing is that maybe, um, maybe we should, um, as a final push, we should have uh, maybe expand a task group to look at this and uh, and uh, revise and, and do all these revisions and redlined revisions. Uh, Chris, you were mentioning that you already did this for Woodlands in the tree, the tree ordinance and the woodland ordinance. Do you have a redlined copy of the current code? Not, not one I've done in against the current language um, and whether I've kept them from several versions ago or not, I don't know, but uh, it's doable. Microsoft Word will compare two documents pretty quickly. Uh -huh. and, uh, you'll see <laughs> it's a little scary. Well, this seems like a potential way forward. Um, let's see. Um, uh, I would ask anybody to make suggestions if they're so inclined. I uh, see John, uh, Commissioner Mursky's hand is up. Um, if I think we could get support from Tiffany. I forget how to pronounce Tiffany G. Well, I think whatever her last name is. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that uh, that would be great. And I don't know that she is going to be all that wrapped up in some of the other uh, kinds of things that planning and council and things like that, budget, the kinds of things that um, both council member Dish and council member Ackman and, and uh, Commissioner Gibrandle mentioned. If, and I think her support would be, don't you think, Christopher, really helpful, um, at least in the interim? Well, she has been. And maybe yeah. Remy will help too. Yeah. But I mean, she, she hasn't sat in on recent meetings in probably, I don't know, certainly months, maybe a year. She has a set of these documents, however, and asked for them. So. Mm -hmm. so maybe if we can get some explicit support through the administrator for some capacity from her side, that will that will greatly help in the kind of editing that Commissioner Gibrandle mentioned. Well, and we can do the redlining and things like that. It would help to have a planning staff member too. I mean, the buzzsaw is going to be there. Okay. So, um, so are we thinking about um, recasting this resolution to city council that they recommend that the city administrator um, carve out a certain amount of time um, from uh, Tiffany G. and uh, and uh, somebody from the planning department? I commit to a certain amount of time over a certain period of time to to uh, to get these drafts in shape for uh, further consideration for consideration by council. If you want to do it informally before we send drafts to the council, that's fine with me. I'm I'm it probably takes the chair of this commission or a council member to make the informal to open the informal doors. I again uh, um, the, the words in our charter for the Environment Commission are pretty black and white. We, we, we Environmental commissioners, commissioners work for the council. We have no standing in the city otherwise. 
Yeah, yeah that's our performance. So, uh, Commissioner Ackman, you have your hand up. I'm new here, so I'm going to be also asking Council Member Dish. I mean, we have our staff person here on the commission, Mr. Reynolds. It sounds like he's indicating that some staff wanted to see it. Does it make sense to have you, Mr. Reynolds, talk to uh, Dr. Stoltz or uh, Mr. Dahoney about how we should handle this at this stage? Council Member Dish, does that make sense or as a first step? I, I think um, it's great, Mr. Reynolds, that you um, already reported that you guys wanted to take a look and that Knapp wanted to take a look. I think, Councilmember Ackman, you and I should speak to Mr. Dahoney. Okay. And uh, and have, you know, if he says it's okay, we can then reach out to staff in other sections and then the department heads or section, I don't know what they're called, section heads, section leaders, they're grad students. Um, they can figure out, uh, they can decide where they can put it on their, you know, the their work plans. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right. Okay. And because um, I think that it wouldn't be very useful for it to come to council before it's been vetted, at least by some of the key staff and definitely the attorneys. Because yeah. all council will say is we can't even talk about this until right. staff has seen it, and then the relevant commissions, you know, discuss something that looks more like something that's that's uh, something that's already been vetted by staff. Something that's that you know, and so this is an incredible. It's more than a conversation starter. It's a, it's a remarkable effort, but there are. Um, ways that it will move more quickly if we do things in the in a in a proper order. So, but that's a conversation um, between you and me and Mr. Dahoney. It doesn't need to be and shouldn't really be a resolution from the Environmental Commission instructing council to tell staff what to do because we're we don't really they don't like us when we do that. No, no they don't. Um, uh, Commissioner Dish, you have your hand up. Oh no. I'm... Oh okay. So um yeah that sounds like uh that sounds like an action point. And um so meanwhile what can we be doing to help you to help the natural features working group to advance this um in um you know in what, whatever uh, direction seems appropriate here in terms of uh just reorganizing the documentation. Uh I, their input would be number one on my list. I, um, again, I'm, I'm fairly well persuaded that we need more than the norm normal level of explanation, rationale in the code for this subject area. Mm -hmm. Again, because there's no enabling legislation at the state level allows us to regulate natural features. Mm -hmm. It's not there. There's no defense. You can regulate building heights and mm -hmm. density and all sorts of stuff, and that's enabled in the state statute under zoning, wow. not this. And so um, I'm going to be defending as much language as I can, albeit there's always a way to say things shorter. <laughs> and more carefully. Uh -huh. 
but I, I really need to get in the weeds okay. with people about it. So, Okay, Chris, uh, what people do you think are important to get into the weeds with? Uh, Remy, Tiffany, I don't think um, Missy has time, but maybe you do, Sean. Um, a planning staff member who's been working on natural features for a long time. Um, parks person, um, because uh, our best native forest fragments are on the parks. And because of all the reasons I said in the resolution, it's the, it's our, it's our Noah's Ark, those things. And what they do and what the Natural Aids Program does is, is what we need to educate people to do in their backyards and certainly do anywhere near a natural feature, native forest fragment that's not publicly owned. Uh -huh. Okay. Um... Um, I don't think attorneys want to work with anybody. They have their own world over there, but maybe. Uh, McDonald yeah. was around when we did this to begin with, but otherwise I think they're all new. Um, okay. Okay. So, um, so maybe, uh, maybe uh, council members Dish and uh, Ackman can, uh, can convey those, uh, you know, those, the desire for those departments to be pulled um, when they talk to Mr. Dahoney. Is that, um, is that uh, a good, Course of action. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, meanwhile, um, I mean, yeah. Meanwhile, Chris, I'd like you to think about um, if if you really lately only had um, yourself and John and uh, Wendy, um, you know, devoting a lot of time to this. Um, I would hope you can recruit some more volunteers from the commission. I will. And uh, I'll go back to the larger natural features committee and include these other people on that. And um, and again, it's difficult to write language in a committee of any size. <laughs> That's Sorry. yeah, it's a camel. Tough. So, but at least we can hash over the ideas and 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 make progress. Yeah. 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 I have the feeling that um, a lot of the content is there. It's just a question of putting it in the right forum and putting it through the right process. Right? Yep, That's my process is important. Yeah. So um, do, would the Parks Commission have anything um, to contribute to this discussion? I um, think so. One of, one of the I, documents in here amends the alternative mitigation plan. Tiffany suggested that it's not, the current code suggests that if you can't fit all the mitigation, all the replacement trees on a property, that you could negotiate a plan for the petitioner to work on some other property to put the trees there. Uh, Tiffany said, well, I have no way of monitoring that. I have no way of measuring that. I really don't, I'm not able to manage that. Uh, what makes more sense is to put, is to charge the tree canopy loss fee for the trees that can't be put on a property that's being developed on the site that's being developed, charge a canopy loss fee 
and put it in a tree fund and use it for um, natural feature stuff uh, and tree planting. And one thing I put in there that it could be used for is deer management. There's an off the books way to solve that problem. And uh, especially if we're increasing the mitigation requirements, there could be some money going through that fund easily to pay for deer management. Um, the, the fee that Concord Pines paid for all the trees they couldn't fit on their property on Earhart was a quarter million dollars. So good, good thing to talk to the parks people with. Uh -huh. And if we don't manage deer, we're not going to have native forest fragments that are any good anymore uh -huh. on the parks. They're going to be destroyed, have been substantially oh. destroyed. Oh, in people's backyards as well. That's so, uh, um, not so important, but um, makes us mad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed. Okay. Um, Let's see. I think it's been a good discussion. I think we have some action points here that um, Lisa and uh, Dharma will talk to um, maybe other council members and Mr. Dahoney and try to firm up a process and somewhat of and something of a commitment um, for the time required to bring us over the finish line. Lisa, Dharma, I'm happy to meet. Uh or consult by email or help or do whatever I can. I, I'm ready to do stuff. Yeah, I mean, if we're asking for people's time, we got to put some limits or some expectations on that. It will get us over the finish line and not scare people too much. <laughs> Sorry, right. this is a it's this is a big deal, folks. I, I'm I, there's not an easy way to do it. I know it wasn't, it it wasn't is, easy back a, in 2000. <laughs> but it's a core responsibility of this commission. So, um, all right, if there are no more, uh, uh, no more discussion, um, we'll close out the discussion at this point. Um, the next item on the agenda is reports from committees, other, uh, other commissions, council and chair. So let's start with the committees. Um, does natural features have anything to add? Uh, nope. Uh, thank you. This is a big, big, big puzzle here. Appreciate your okay. time about it. And okay. Yeah, I think um, uh, water quality, we have not met yet. We're going to be meeting um, soon. So um, I'm not going to report anything for water quality work group as yet. Um, what about um, solid waste? John? John, uh, Commissioner Calvert? Um, Sorry. That I, I hear solid waste and I'm thinking something else. <laughs> so um, not much to update since the last time we talked about our work, although we have uh, reached out to both Anya and Maisie, who've expressed kind of uh, some degree of, of interest in engaging with the current work around the circular economy. Uh, Maisie had, uh, Lisa and I just met just before this meeting. She's got some great ideas about work she's coordinating with others through the Ann Arbor Public Schools. Um, so that was really exciting to hear about. Um, but as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, our main thing right now is some um, very specific community engagement to help shape what we're doing and supporting the work of the 
University of Michigan School for Environment and Sustainability students who are wrapping up their work. Um, they'll be completing their project with us in April. Lisa, anything else? Just, um, just to specify that what is going to be coming up is a, a strategy plan for strategy five or an outreach plan for strategy five. And uh, it's a little confusing because it's all plan speak. But uh, we are definitely, that is the outreach that John is talking about, that we, um, there is a, a, a person helping us build the community team that we're going to need for equity be, to be at the center of that strategic plan for strategy five, which is building the circular economy. And so we're sort of planning in order to plan, which seems really weird. But I think it makes a lot of sense because the city's normal planning process though it does value equity, it doesn't really know how to get the right parts of the community involved in a respectful and empower, not empower, that isn't the right way, but um, powerful way, meaningful and consequential way. And so that's the work that's happening now and expect just as we saw tonight, um, a strategy that's implementing strategy six, expect over the next year, a strategy for strategy five to be developed and that will be really exciting. Mm -hmm. Great. So, uh, pollinators, Rita. Yeah, um, the pollinator work group um, has received a message from staff regarding our coming season um, to address um, where we were last year with um, the Nomo May, and we'll be working a meeting on Monday to have a discussion on, on directions for um, how we'll move forward. Um, it may be, it may look different. So um, be prepared for some changes um, and uh, I'll keep you posted. Um, but the goals are really the same. The ultimate goal is to support pollinators, to have um, biodiverse landscapes that support them and that um, all along support all the kinds of things that we are all interested in. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Rita. So um, and, uh, let's move on to commissions, um, Energy Commission. There is, we have not met since our last special meeting when I gave it updates, so nothing to add. Okay, thank you, John. Uh, Parks, Anne? I uh, Parks met uh, um, last week. Um, and let's see, we've completed the pros. Uh, plan process. Um, and thanks for everybody who commented and helped with that. Um, we had uh, an update on the tree line conservancy at our last meeting and an update from the parks operations staff. That was uh, very interesting how they managed 165 parks within the city of Ann Arbor on a with um, just a handful of people. So it's pretty amazing. That's it. All right, thank you, Anne. Um, and then uh, planning. Uh, we've had just one meeting since uh, we had our last meeting. And um, uh, it was one where I had to recuse myself because I worked on the project, but I do know about the project. So this is the, um, the um, Ann Arbor's third fire station, which is over on East Huron Parkway, just where Platt comes down. And it's the first net zero fire station in Ann Arbor, probably in the state, I would imagine. Um, and uh, it's a, it's got some weirdness to it because the, the 
the the site itself where the fire station sits is is really tiny, but it's right next to Shuffler Park. So I'm sure Anne knows all about this because uh, um, we are taking a chunk of Shuffler Park to be able to expand the fire station onto that. And it's associated, like there's a small parking lot and some stormwater areas and things like that. Um, and so uh, we went through the Parks Commission to be able to kind of swap through some of those things. Um, as a result of that, we're putting in a nice new basketball court um, on the other side of the, of the creek there, because now it's creek runs through there. Um, so uh, there'll be some kind of park upgrades in for so that kind of trade, you know, that's happening with, with um, part of that area that's coming up um, for, for the fire station use. The whole um, intersection is going to be reconfigured. Uh, through there. Right now, the where Platt comes into Eastern Parkway is a three-way stop, and it will become kind of four-way into the fire station parking lot, which really isn't a place where many of us are ever going to go in, but it's where fire trucks are going to be coming out. So there's going to be a lot of changes in that area um, to be able to accommodate this use um, so that fire trucks can pull through their building rather than backing out, which is what happens right now. Um, so lots of changes and um, pretty exciting that they were able through combination of solar and geothermal and things like that to be able to achieve net zero um, on this on this building. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you, Shannon. Yeah, I read the MLive article um, and uh, it looks like uh, a, a good number of the city's um, departments had really worked well together to make it happen. Yep. Yeah. Okay, um, let's see, uh, uh, now report from council. Uh, Lisa, do you wanna go first? Yes, and I'm not sure how far we need to go back in council meetings. And the only thing I can think of that's interesting to this commission, but there may be more if uh, council member Admin remembers, is that we did pass, we approved the pros plan. So we're really excited about that. And um, also just, it is worth mentioning that as exciting as the fire station is, it is as yet unfunded. So if anyone has a little extra money in your checkbook, <laughs> feel free to send it in. And I don't remember anything else that we've done, Council Member Ackman, but I was, I missed a meeting, I think. So. Well, I'm thinking of one that you actually spoke about and you spoke very well about it. Uh, the big rebate that we got from uh Putting solar facilities. I think the prior plan was to basically kind of lease the panels, uh, but now with the new federal tax credit, I think we were able to save three some odd million dollars um, by changing to purchasing it outright. So that's great for city buildings. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I know you're we're juggling a lot. So, um, Okay, um, anything, um, anything, um, Commissioner Ackman, you'd like to add to that or? No, I would just say I'm happy to start giving uh, reports out from Transportation Commission, if you'd like. I think you said that that hasn't been okay. before. Uh, we met last week, um, basically went over what our plans are for the coming year, what we accomplished last year. Uh, one of the big activities is the Vision Zero Implementation Committee. So that's our transportation plan that was passed a couple of years ago. We have a subcommittee that's working on the implementation of that with an external consulting firm. 
and soon they will have a list of prioritized projects uh, that they plan to work on. And I think that's that's the main thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so let's see. Um, so now's the time for the chair's report. I'm just going to say that. Uh, let's see. Uh, First of all, that um, you know, that I want to mention that the city's sustainability forums have begun once again. Um, they had one last night that was focused on the circular economy. That had uh, Jenny Petoskey and uh, Sam McMullen of Live Zero Waste, and uh, oh, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Sarah, I think it was Hannah. Hannah Loftus. That's it. Hannah Loftus. So um, they gave some very good presentations, and there was a really good public discussion, a lot of Q&A that went on for uh, quite some time um, till eight o'clock, I believe, from 6.30. Um, and um, let's see, so that's all I wanted to say at this point. Um, Commissioner Ackman, you have your hand up. Yeah, sorry, just because you mentioned other things that might be of interest, I'm not sure if people saw this February 22nd forum, housing and transportation, what's the climate connection? I think it's going to be at the downtown library from 6 to 8 p.m. Hopefully it's on Facebook. It's in a variety of different places. If you want the invite, I'm happy to send it to you. But it looks interesting and relevant. Oh, yeah, it does. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, I think that's being sponsored by the Climate Reality Project. Is it? Yeah. Okay. And our Citizens Climate Lobby. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, Let's see. Uh, so the next item on the agenda is report from staff. Yeah, thank you. Um, most of my items have been mentioned already. Um, I will add on to the uh, sustainability forums uh, that the one coming up in March is on electrification and the one in April is going to be on renewable energy. Um, so if you're interested in those topics, keep an eye out for those. Uh, I also do have a note uh, that OSI and the Solid Waste Department are working with the Bryant Community Center to hold a neighborhood swap day uh, in the Bryant neighborhood on February 4th. Um, so this coming week uh, or next weekend, I believe. Um, and we are looking for folks to help volunteer at that event to help uh, with sorting items that are brought in and distributing items um, and bringing uh, leftover items that might be left after the swap day to um, uh, 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 drop-off stations um, for donations. Uh, so if you are interested, uh, anyone on the commission or anyone who is watching this meeting, uh, if you're interested in volunteering at that event, um, please let me know at srenoldsa2gov.org and I will get that on to Hannah Loftus, who is coordinating the event. Okay. Um, so um, are you asking for donations as well, Sean, or just volunteers to help with sorting at Bryant on February 4th? Uh, it is just for volunteers. Okay. And um, what time is it? Um, I do not have that information right in front of me, but I will bring it up and get back okay. in just a second. Okay. All right. Thank you, Sean. So um, the next item on the agenda is items for the next agenda. So um, um, we've had some back, uh, some back and forth. Um, we were we were anticipating um, uh, to get a report from um, from the Public Works Department on the solid waste uh, budget and the plans for uh, 
the coming year and the budget request. Um, we have been told that uh, that um, a lot that um, it would be difficult for somebody to present their plans for next year because a lot of them are still in flux. You know, there's a lot of stakeholders and things. And remember, Sarah Mason uh, came and gave a short review of what they were planning back in October. So, however, um, the city staff has promised that they will get the financials to us and we can have a discussion of the 2022 um, financials and the uh, and the budget ask as it exists now. So we'll uh, a substantial part of our next meeting will be reviewing these financials and discussing them. Um, so um, that's all I have for the next agenda. Besides, I believe, yes, Chris, you have your hand up. I, when you're done, I have uh, one map from the C students from last spring to show folks if you want to see it. It pretty well shows the net eighty forest fragments in the city. Okay, and and wasn't Ramey going to come in February as well, or was that March? Uh, Remy uh, will be in March. I yes, believe. March. Correct. Oh uh, no, we have uh, no, no. What it is is we have uh, um, Keith of the um, wastewater treatment plant. Yes, is going to talk in February as well. So Keith is going Correct. to be uh, uh, Keith. I've forgotten his last name. Uh, Sanders. Yep, he's going to be talking about the wastewater treatment plant. So that seems like the full agenda. There, we have two major items. Um, uh, I do also, uh, sorry, um, I do also have a request from uh, Heather Safarth to present the equitable engagement report uh, at the February meeting. Um, that would be a, a short presentation if we okay. want to add that on. Okay, yep, we could probably accommodate that, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Chris, you still have your hand up. Um, yes, Sean, if you let me um, uh, share the screen. Sure. Uh, I'll also just chime in really quick. That swap day is from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. There are different shifts, but that's that's the time frame. Okay. So this is one, one map from the C students that worked on our forests last year. The dark green our oak trees, they are the city's native forest fragments. Um, this um, um, area is, um, where am I, Earhart? This is um, east of Domino's Farms um, along Ford Road and uh, uh, a lot of hickories in there. That's the orange. Huh. That's uh, Mathai, isn't it? Mathai's on Dixborough, which is out yonder. Sorry. Let's, uh, let's okay. see if we get Mathai out here. I think it's the East Medical Campus, south of south of there. Um, this is, and you can see a lot of great native forest fragments in the East Medical Campus area. Yeah, um, that's a, that's a park, I believe, over there east of. Uh, yeah, that's, oh, that's Marshall, Marshall Park. park. That's Marshall Park. That's right Marshall there. Park. Yeah. Yeah. Marshall Park is up here, right? Correct. And this is the East Medical Center area. I think East um, Medical Center is uh, further yeah. south. 
Yeah, the East Medical Area is south of uh, Plymouth Road. This is a parcel that was developed back before we had natural features ordinance amendments, and we managed to save this native forest fragment and a lot of really nice wetlands on this parcel after six months of uh, serious work. These are the Sugarbush and other parks um, along Georgetown in the Georgetown neighborhood. Each tree, by the way, here has a identification, so there's lots of information here. Chris, is this is this um, a, a link that you could send to all of us um, that is publicly accessible? No, this is uh, me tapping into the university, uh, but it will be. Okay. And what is what is what is pink and yellow in here? Yellow are hickories. Pink are um, everything else that's woody, um, including a lot of maples. But it's also picking up the shrub thickets and so on, which is certainly true around Thurston Pond here. Um, uh, Will this become part of the natural features um, uh, inventory kind of like GIS interface, which I yes. use all the time. I'm so yeah. glad that you're going to be able to have this and have access to it. I think we need to do a second step with C's and get all this pink reconciled a lot better. This is Black Pond Woods. Uh -huh. um, which used to extend out into the golf course before they put a fairway through here. We have another layer that I can't seem to open that actually went back all through the old air photos, and we put a line around what were native forest fragments back years ago, and this one went out this way, but didn't go nearly as far south, so this native forest fragment has expanded uh -huh. since then. Okay, Chris, that's a great, that's a great uh, look. Um, so um, do you have a, do you have an anticipated time when that then the commissioners could look at it or maybe a beta test and then um, and then it could be made available to the public? Is there a target date for that? I'm not in charge. It's the IT guys and they have a full plate also. But um, and Jason Talent, who is the advisor for the students and used to work for the city and still works for the university, is working to get the data in a form that the IT guys can plug into our system. It's coming I, in the next couple of months. Steve, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Commissioner Dale, you have your hand up. Yeah, I, I do. Um, Chris, I'm wondering, because I see that that's some, some U of MC students, but do you do you know if they're working in cooperation with like campus grounds? Because campus ground services has also been working on a massive mapping of natural features and trees and, and other things. And um, I hope they're talking to each other and working together and not. Yeah. The group is done. It was a, spe a specific project that the city engaged them to do. And that was to look at our forest canopy across the city and identify areas of grass and identify down to the species level, the trees that we have in the city. Um, there's a lot more data there that I can't show you. I don't, haven't figured out how to work all this yet, but. Yeah, maybe we can talk offline about, about what's involved in that process and see if there's a, an opportunity to connect it with this other stuff that U of M is working on. It'd be great. And maybe it already is connected, I don't know, but. It's not, but the U of M has a lot of native forest fragments that are very important and it would be good not to build on them. 
yeah get them restored <laughs> great okay great thank you uh rita mitchell you have your hand up I just want to thank uh, Commissioner Dale for raising that issue because the opportunity to work cooperatively with the university on these things where we have one community, but um, kind of two separate administrative parts um, has been something I think has been challenging to us for a long time. And, and um, the more we can pull together, the better. And natural features is a perfect area to do that. Yeah, excellent. So, um, so let's see. Let's move on to the next item on the agenda, which is um, the next scheduled meeting, which is February twenty third at seven p.m. and it will be online. Um, so, this is the this the next item is uh, the second period of public commentary. So, this is another opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes. Please call eight 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 seven eight eight zero zero nine nine and enter meeting ID number 922-9696-1644. Again, you call 888-788-0099 and enter meeting ID 922-9696-1644. This information is also displayed on the meeting agenda and video feed. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand one by one using the last three digits of your phone number. In order to electronically raise your hand to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone. You will hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any television or background sounds so that we may hear you clearly. Please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments and be patient. There can be a delay of up to 30 seconds before a connection is established. Um, do we have anybody on the line as yet, Sean? We do not. Okay. So we'll wait again. We'll wait 30 seconds. Meanwhile, um, um, let's see. Um, Do we have anybody as yet, Sean? We do not. Okay, well then I will declare this meeting adjourned at 8.59 p.m. Thank you, everybody.